This is Thomas DePolo. This is Max. This is Kevin Ham. Hey, this is Jake Cook. Hi, this is William Roy. You're listening to The Green Box. There's a new book from Mark Dream, uh, one of the you know ancient Kickstarter rewards. It was basically a book of artifacts, magic items called Archant. Uh, so yeah, we're going to talk about some of the uh, some of these artifacts and things. And I I, I do want to say, uh, I want to get y'all's general feedback on the book. But um, I uh, when I first started reading this, I was kind of disappointed because I I read the first couple and it was kind of like oh my man, it's all like not really what I like, but then as I read more, I started, I found a few that I really liked and really, really latched onto. So if you're listening to this podcast just for an initial uh, feeling, it's uh, it's a positive one for me, at least. I don't think I would use any of these items in a, a game because I just generally don't use a lot of published content, but a lot of the like descriptive text and the background on them got me excited about running Delta Green again, which is something I've been having an issue with. Um, I think one of the reasons why... Uh, the initial reaction was not super positive from just the, the two of us, Kevin, is that one of the first items is a, a recycled item from an existing scenario. Yep. And that, that gives the impression that this is like Night at the Opera, where it's something that was originally pitched as a, um, a, a unique reward, but was actually a, a recycled. But no, there's actually some really cool new content in here. And so that's um, something that I, that I would relay to people who haven't read the document, is that there is some exciting new stuff. And to me, like when I... I think one of the reasons that I initially kind of uh, looked askance at this is that when I, one, I'm not good at making magic items. Uh, as people who've read Stop Repo will know, those magic items are not very magical or interesting. But for me, like a magic item should be like something like useful and a player character can like pick it up and use it to fight the bad guy. But what I realized with most of these is that these are more like if you were going to, if you had a group a session at home and you wanted a new like arc, you'd have like a bad guy pick one of these up or you had the players investigate something adjacent to one of these and you'd weave that like cool lore and cool background in over a couple couple scenarios so like this wouldn't be like excalibur for the heroes this would be like either a villain or like something a villain uses and in that in that regards it makes things that makes them a little more interesting to me i just never thought about using them that way tom what was your initial read uh yeah well it says artifacts and atrocities they're almost more like SCP objects, I guess, in a sense, in that a lot of them are just a dangerous thing that might pop up and start causing trouble. Yeah, the whole the whole thing is designed. I think Kevin and you both hit the nail on the head. The whole thing is designed with a pretty different philosophy than the one I go into when I do um, magic items, which is that if basically I'm in my head, I'm thinking, is this something that I want the players to even consider interacting with? And if it's something I want them to consider interacting with, then I go into my uh, basket of of design goals, which is I think something we talked about years and years ago in our artifact segment. But for me, if a, if I want the player to even think about using it, if I want it to be like a, a piece of gameplay for the, 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 the agents, then I'm thinking, okay, what what what's like the bait? What's the, the the reason why they might consider using it? What are ways to telegraph the costs so that it's not just a um like it doesn't just hit them out of the blue? And what is a a, a penalty that is maybe not necessarily fair, but like proportional. Like what's a good mirror punishment for fucking with this item? But like you guys just said, a lot of these are clearly not intended for to be things that the player carries experiment with. They're more things for the bad dudes to run around with. 
And in fact, I think two of them are actually just the thing the bad dude runs around with from existing scenarios. Uh, I guess let's just kind of run through an order. Maybe we'll do like a quick fire, you know, take on each one. Um, and uh, and we'll see, because there's, there's a few I want to talk about, but I don't want to just start jumping around willy-nilly. Oh, you know what? I just realized, uh, I was thinking, well, why did they put the recycled item in the first? That makes a bad impression. It's it's alphabetical. It's called, it's <laughs> it's the first, the first item is the I oppa. It's A-I. Yeah, right. So I'm I'm, I'm actually a, a I'm actually dumb as hell. I can't I can't alphabetize. Yeah, okay. My name is Melon um, Brad. I'm, I don't know how old you are, and I, I never, just don't know how to I fucking read. Learned, you know, never learned how to fucking read. <laughs> kind of. Okay. So, um, before we go into the to the alpha list, um, Tom, I remember you in the run up to this saying you had something about uh how these items were constructed, like whether or not with with uh, with regard to the handler's guide. Uh, yeah, I think the original stretch goal from the 2015 Kickstarter said these are all going to be constructed using the rules for making magic items and spells that showed up in the Handler's Guide. Uh, and I don't think that actually plant panned out when they were putting this together. Does does the the Handler's Guide have a guide to creating artifacts? I know it has. I know it has for spells, monsters, and scenarios. Does it have one for artifacts? Uh, you, for artifacts, it's the exact same as a spell. You just don't have to make the roll to see if it activates. You can just pay the cost and have it go off immediately. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that uh, what they might have done is they might have written the they might have written the Kickstarter goal for this one back when they had a little more ambitious plans for the Handler's Guide because I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame them for not using that method because take a spell and put it in an item is I mean, it's easy. It's not just not that exciting yeah. to me. Like, 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 yeah. I think, I think it would, I think it would be cool to to show the methodology in action. But I think the methodology might have been watered down from what they were originally planning on doing. I guess it might have been nice if they had like maybe like a maybe just taking one of these artifacts and giving us like maybe like a draft. Like you know, here's here, here's like how this item came to be. That might be a neat learning experience, and maybe that's something they consider release as like a Patreon exclusive or something. Like because obviously these are all these have all gone through, or I'm assuming these have all gone through multiple revisions, and you know tweaks and things i'm curious how you know we've on the show talked about how we do it but i'd love to know how arc dream does it so here's my question uh there's a couple of items here that are from existing scenarios do you guys remember i, I don't know this off, off the top of my head if those scenarios we can talk about this when we get to them but do you guys know if, if victim of the art and uh sweetness are debt willer scenarios yes they're both debt willer scenarios uh Victim of the Art was free for a while. I think it might also appear in Countdown, and now there's an there's an updated version. Yeah, you can get Victim of the Art. Victim of the Art is one of the ones that has been floating around. I think as a PDF on the um, the DG website for years, just like the original Night Floors and um, I think Music from a Darkened Room and the other one, uh, Last Equation, have also been just they're lost in like the old archives of the Delta Green site when they would just let any community member just upload shit. I also think, and I, I don't know, I don't know because not every item has a byline, but I think Caleb wrote the lion's share of the new stuff. So I think, I mean, the book is by Dennis and Caleb, and that's also alphabetical. But I think the only reason that Dennis is on there as a byline is because the the ones that are from his his things. Okay, uh, are we ready to go to get to get into because the, there's only like eleven. Uh, yeah. we can we can just go line by line, and if there's one that doesn't interest us, we'll just we'll just pass over it. Um. For those of you listening, this is going to spoil every single item in the document. Um, do we want to give brief descriptions of what each is, or do we want to just jump right into our, our thoughts on them? I think thoughts. I mean, 
I think our listeners, if you're listening to this, are going to have to kind of follow along as a companion because I don't want to just read all the item descriptions out to people, you know? Okay, so the first the first item in alphabetical order is the Amulet of the Iapa. And I actually have a question for this because I have not I have not read the new Victim of the Art. I've only read the original scenario. And my understanding is that the presentation of Bayekis from the original scenario to new Delta Green has changed substantively because in the old one, the Bayaki was a creepy predator that um, it liked to eat skulls and spinal cords. And so that's why it would, that's why they call it the chiropractor because it would do that. And it, it was like a, a creature that had been like made a bargain with the ancient Incas or whatever. But I know that in New Delta Green, the presentation of Bayakis has been switched to wing servitors because Bayaki is like an intellectual property thing with Chaosium or something. So, um, I actually don't know what the new version of this creature is like in the scenario. I think it's just like a, from from my recollection, it's kind of just a demon a demon type flying thing that does the you know the bidding of the the person who's got the amulet. Well, if I remember correctly, the issue in the original scenario was that the uh, amulet did not actually respond to the commands of the wearer; it just responded to whatever they were thinking about. So. If the kid was afraid of someone or wanted to have sex with someone or just thought about someone a lot for any reason, then the the space gremlin would appear and rip their head off. It's it's weird because there's a set of how it works when you're consciously using it. But the thing is, the kid in the scenario doesn't actually know what it is or what it does. So that's why the Bayaki is kind of feeding off his thoughts because if you if you know what it is and what you're doing, you can just tell the Bayaki to do stuff. And this one is just kind of responding to the kid's impulses. I mean, at, at its core, it's a pretty simple artifact. And what's nice about this is that you certainly could you could you could pull out the someone unconsciously using it to do bad things and put it into like if you're if you're running a Delta Green system, you know, if you're running a Delta Green game set in like California, you just had no way. Say maybe you don't like Victim of the Art, or you had no way to like get to New York. You could just have someone else find this amulet and like do a similar type thing. You can pull the kind of that trope out of the Victim of the Art scenario and drop it into your own. And it's it's only, you know it's like you know it's like half a page of text on that, so it's not a huge lift to shoehorn this in. Just you know, person unconsciously doing bad things, you know, go crazy. So it makes it. I think it makes it pretty useful. What about the uh, Blood of the Feeder? Yeah, let's go to Blood of the Feeder. I do. I do think it's interesting that. But I think putting anything inside of a box that says do not open, do not touch ever, like, I feel like if you're a person writing that on something, someone's definitely going to open it. (laughs) It reminds me of like those, like, you know, nothing of value, you know, nothing of value was stored here. You know, there are no monuments to, you know, like the the thousand year in the future of nuclear monuments things. Yeah, I know the one you're talking about, but, but. I think that this is an interesting one because the question is how much warning and what kind of warning is fair warning? Like, do you want to tell people what they're getting into? Do you want to just tell them it's dangerous or do you want to not warn them at all in, as a game designer? I guess, like, f- from a game designer philosophy, I want to, like, warn somebody and then I want them to feel a small consequence of their actions and then uh, feel a, a ma- major consequence. We can talk about this when we get to the, the eggs of APEP, so remind me I mentioned that because th- that ties into those. Tom, which scene, in, and you have something here about Annihilation? Uh, yeah, there's a scene from the novel Annihilation, I think, where the biologist is studying cells under a microscope, and she can see them, like, I think it says she can't study them, not because they're indescribable, but they keep changing shape, like, as she's watching them. Like, there's an almost observer effect applied to biology there. 
that's just what it came to me when it says that when you look at it under a microscope, it almost looks two-dimensional, even though it's clearly enveloping things around things in three dimensions. The, the I think the issue a lot of people have with these, um, like, it's indescribable or it, it can't be analyzed, is that that's kind of a, a, a fuck you to people who built that type of character. It's one of the reasons why I've always felt frustrated with scientists, computer scientists, anthropologists, etc., because it seems like a lot of these inquiries kind of dead end. You're not wrong. I think they, they'll, they'll get dead-ended dead in a couple of upcoming items in this book, too. There's not a lot of interesting response to that. And I think it sucks that that happens because the strength of most of these items is the cool backstory. That's, that's the way I feel about it. And getting a cool backstory and also getting like a useful clue is exactly what like anthropology, archaeology, occult, that's what those skills are supposed to do. Yeah, and, and even in this case, like if you try to study it, it actually like you can lose sand from it. So it's it's, like, it's not even just you, the dead end; you're actively harmed. I'm not I'm not bothered by like losing sand for studying something. But basically, my my view of the social contract of Delta Green is that the reason why you're losing sand is that you're getting the bad knowledge in your head. So give me some fucking bad knowledge. Give yeah, me unnatural points. Give me uh, a clue or a spell or something. Uh, tell me how it works. I've basically, in my kind of privately, I've always used um, like occult anthropology, archaeology, etc. as basically like the um, the use magical device of Delta Green. Like this is how you know how to activate an artifact. And it's a little like kind of gamey, but it makes those characters useful if you use a lot of magic items in your game. This one I don't mind so much because you can still experiment with it. You can still poke and prod at it in the lab setting yeah. without using the microscope and kind of figure out what it does. Being able to experiment with it is good because one thing that I've noticed is that if you have a scenario that has a an item that has like a repeatable ability, like um, the... Like like the whole the hole in the mouth of the critter in uh, the statue in um, Tomb of Horrors that just destroys whatever goes into it. Whenever the players find something like that, they're gonna spend the next like ten minutes to a half hour like playing with it, being like, okay, I put I put the 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 pole in, but only the first six inches of the pole. Um, okay, I throw a rock in. Okay, I throw I throw a fireball in. Like they're gonna fuck with it, and that's in this case having it respond to that is good. Kevin, this is one of the ones that you said didn't grab you at the beginning. What was it that you did not like about it? I mean, it, the only thing that I wasn't a big fan of is that there's... It feels like you have two... A player has two options with this item. One is to not open it, like leave it sealed in the can and, and you know never touch it, or be killed by it through an accident. I like It, it feels hard for me to imagine a scenario where uh, an, a, a player character like uses this and isn't killed by their own hubris. And I don't think that's obvious from the get-go. Picking this up is basically a death sentence. I don't know. It does say do not open. I think it says it does 1d6 HP every hour, so it's not like it instant kills you. There's a lot of time to figure something out. Unless I misread it, there's nothing Nothing will stop it, right? You can cut off the infected limbs, so that's why I like about oh, it. Okay. It forces you okay. into a really like grim can you, choice. Can you ignore the effect if you wear like a biohazard outfit? Yeah, it doesn't say anything. Like, it doesn't punch through anything. You have to get it on your bare skin, so, like, a pair of gloves is fine. It, it's, it says if you, like, accidentally come in contact in a lab accident, but it doesn't say you have to make a roll or anything to avoid that. So I guess that would be, like, 
if you're going to force a role to study it, I would say probably a fumble is what makes that happen. Do you, Kevin, you, do you think that maybe um, you'd feel better about it if the warning label were a bit more descriptive? Like if, if it said like biohazard on it instead of just don't open? It, yeah, it could be. Because yeah. this, is, this is something that you should treat like a biohazard. Yeah, 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 that would be helpful. That's the other thing I like about it, though, is that you think it's a knife and it's really not the knife is the dangerous part. It's a fake out. Because the knife has a bunch of like information you can lose, learn with clues and different skills and stuff, and none of that is really relevant to what's actually going on there. It just it's it leads you down one path, and it's the wrong path. Yeah. So I I I didn't catch you. You just cut your hand off, which is a really neat like trade off. I also think this would work well for a like n- not a villain to use, but like. No, I think a villain. I think that this, Kevin, this this reminds me of something you wanted to do in one of your early um, scenarios with the skin suit, but then you realized that it didn't work because no one was ever going to fucking put on put a on suit made suit. out of human yeah. skin. Yeah. Uh, what I was going to say is um, maybe not like, like so not like a villain, like like the evil guy in the scenario, but like somebody studying it comes in contact with it, re- realizes what's happened, and then is going to use their you know their one d six per hour to like you know finish off their rivals or you know do some harm or you know try to like. Well, if I'm, if I'm going to die horribly from this, I may as well, you know, you know, knock over a bank and give the money to my family or something. So then, like, then the agents might be tasked with, like, agents might realize that and want to stop them. But, you, you know, you don't exactly want, you may not exactly want to just gun down this person in, in broad daylight because, like, where you might want to, like, a true villain, you wouldn't feel bad about just murdering in the streets. So if this guy was, like, you know, an accidental villain, you might have some, you know, more, uh, like, emotional connection or more, you know, more of the dilemma there, perhaps. All right. I'm, I'm feeling more positively about this one, too, I think. And plus, like, so, like, I, I, I'm the kind of handler that would signpost. If I was going to use this as written, I would signpost its horrifying danger more. I'd have, I, I would have like the lab tech like put it near like, uh, accidentally come in contact with like, uh, an apple or something, or like they tested on like a, a lab rat first, and you'd see those like horrifying like hollowed out lab rat. Like, okay, well, this is. But I think that's something like, that fucking that terrifying. Would be more fun to do as a. As a, if 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 you have a player character who is a scientist, that'd be more fun to do as a player. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. But 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 also, this is a case where if someone is like, if someone has like science, biology sixty, medicine sixty, you can assume that the character says, "I want to study this." You can assume that they're taking basic precautions, and then you can let them you can let them uh, take do like a riskier interaction with it, but tell them like this procedure that you want to do with it will teach you more, but it is unsafe. Or even to suggest, like, hey, you know, with Biology 60, you would know that, you know, introducing this to, an, you know, like, again, like, testing this on a lab rat might tell you something. All right, I'll well, do it, you know. I guess, like, that's just my, like, the way I want to handle this. I want to signpost the danger more clearly, but I want to give people a reason to still go for it. But I want that to be an informed decision. I like I like where we've got to on this one. Um, do we want to go to the next item? Yeah, I'm good. So th- this is one that's interesting to me because... It is another one that is it's it's not like a direct pull from a published module, but I'm pretty sure the whole thing about the impalements and that secret church is taken from a line of descriptive text in the scenario Holy War. And I'm also curious whether the text in Holy War is like a reference because a lot of old Delta Green modules will reference other Chaosium products like or other or other pagan publishing products like um in the original D stacks, there was a an item from Masks of Nulathotep and stuff like that. And so I'm wondering whether, like the 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 Impaler or whatever, was originally a 
is from another like Call of Cthulhu listener or something. When I read this one the first time, my brain had a lot of interesting ideas. One, it's it's got some history you can research, but also it's it's got a lot of different interactions with the the shard. But like none of them are just like instant kill you, you know, n- nonstop like player kill. There's a lot of interesting ways you can like have the players discover someone else using it or the evidence they've used it or they could use it like and then i also i could see a player taking this and like 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 i could see a player like finishing a scenario where this is a central item and keeping this and then using it later because they need like the temp hp or something and that to me is like a cool magic item that like a, a character might have i think there's two like thematic through lines for this one that are really cool and creepy uh where the first one is you're all, it's always losing power, so it encourages you to use it to hurt lots of people to keep powering it up, and that doesn't require any kind of mind control or anything on you. And the second one is once it's powered up, you can use it to heal yourself, but in order to do that, you need to basically self-harm with it. Yeah, which again makes it... like So if, if I was like... I got to think about it, if I was writing... If I was like running a Gen Con game, and I put this... like This is an item that, that I would, in theory, if I wanted to, put onto a pre-gen like already powered up and let them like, you know, well, your character has been shot. Do you want to use this, you know, potentially terrifying, you know, shard to heal yourself? Like, you know what, it, you know what it does, those consequences, you know, like, and I could see a player being like, shit, yeah, I got to finish this engagement. So I'll do it. Or, you know, oh, I don't want to hurt somebody, you know, whatever. Like, I think that'd be interesting gameplay. How do you guys feel about, about Glacky? You'll be surprised to know that I don't really know much about him. <laughs> okay. So, um, so Kevin, I'll tell you about Glacky. Uh, Glacky is a, a big, um, he, he, he's one of the ones created by the English guy, not Michael Shea, the other one. Um, Ram, Ramsey Campbell? Ramsey yeah, Campbell, that guy. Ramsey Campbell wrote a lot of, he, he basically just did Lovecraft Country again, but in the United Kingdom. And he came up with a lot of original monsters, some of which are actually pretty cool. Uh, and um, I don't remember, I think it's Inhabitant of the Lake is where Glacky's from. Glacky is a creature that came to Earth in a meteor and is a giant slug covered in spines. And if the spine injects you, you become immortal, but you also become a slave of Glacky. Uh, you become one of his Glackies. <laughs> you God. take your fucking medicine. There's a bunch of other stuff. Like, if you if you are a Glacky, you you have to, like, do what Glacky says because you're infected by him. You are immortal. You have a giant-ass spine stuck in your body, which is super conspicuous. And you also, after a certain amount of time, Glacky's... Uh, I mean, they're, they're called Glackeen, but I always call them Glackeys because I think it's funny. Uh, and after a certain amount of time, you actually get something called the Green Death or the Green Rot, which is that sunlight uh, dissolves your flesh. I think I remember that because there's an NPC in Old Delta Green who is one of the Glackeys. Yes. So the the originally, the, the guy who actually runs Club Apocalypse for uh, Steven Alzis is a Glacky. He's a... Um, He's like a Nazi who was infected with with Glacky venom while the Nazis were looking for. They were trying to like capture Glacky so they could get his magic spines and become immortal because that's what Nazis want to do. They want to become immortal and and like have Nazi stuff happen for thousands of years. Like uh, who's the other guy? Um, the cannibal. Uh, he, he's the same same deal. But anyways, um, in Delta Green, uh, this the in old Delta Green, this guy had a, a plot to summon Glacky in some lake in uh like in the Catskills. And he want, he he had this whole thing where he was like building a secret resort, but in reality he was actually uh, making uh, like a summoning ritual at the lake, and um, that was the, that was like the plot of that Delta Green operation. Holy War was one that had like a lot of cool set pieces, but did not really do a good job of stringing them together. It had some really stupid shit in it, like the line of text about Stephen Alzis rolling around in the ashes of the World Trade Center. 
strange. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like that sounds like a Rami a Rami post, but that's actually a hundred percent what the book says. He, I don't think he's literally rolling around, but he does take you on a tour of like whatever. No, it definitely definitely says is, he like breathe he like breathes in the ashes. <laughs> okay, that that sounds distressingly familiar. Yeah, he's 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 rolling around in them in an upright position. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But but um, then the and and the glacky infected guy, the Nazi, is also the head of the nightclub, and he's got he's got like green rot, so he can only come out at night, and then. He's like in a fight with the Gallinat cultist who um, they don't really get much development in the scenario, but they're basically like trying to fuck up his glacky based operation. And so really it's a scenario that solves itself because the Gali it straight up says the Gallinat cultist turns into Gallinat and just fucking bodies him, just beats his ass. And then like I may- maybe I'm-, I'm misremembering it, but I don't remember like why does Delta Green need to intervene at all because Stephen Alls is like yes you should intervene on my behalf it's like no no I shouldn't we have a truce with you that doesn't mean I, I work for you it means that I I, I, I I don't do what you say anyway I'm probably misremembering a lot of that but that, that's that's the background for this is that there's a, a brief descriptive text at the very beginning of the operation um, I think I think it's connected to this one I don't have the book open in front of me but there's a very, a very brief text at the beginning of the operation um, talking about some like famous serial killer who was like the impaler and he impaled some people, and then he also had a secret church that he ran where he taught people that if they impaled themselves, they'd become immortal. He was like a glacky guy. He was obsessed with glacky. And he's the character that you meet at the beginning of the scenario doing, like, glacky stuff. And uh, he's, like, the one that hooks you into the whole operation in New York. There's, like, a whole pre-first uh, act of the scenario that um, is kind of railroaded and doesn't have that much gameplay. It has some cool set pieces, though. It's really possible that I'm misremembering all this, but that's what I remember is that is that the... Um, the, imp- the impaler. <laughs> was the was that a really long road place. to get to? That's where the impaler started. No, that's that's where this item is from. Like it, this is, I think, the first mention of it. And I, I, and as I said before, I don't know if it's if this is a further reference to a Call of Cthulhu or Pagan Publishing scenario. I, I my guess is that it's not because they've tried to excise references to old uh, Chaosium content, even content that they worked on in the new um, in the new Delta Green. Like um, changing the name of the operation from Covenant to Puzzle Box, so that they weren't using content from Escape from Innsmouth, even though that was very clearly what Old Delta Green was based on. So I like I like this one now. I um, again like I think I think that this is good. We're we're using the Socratic method to determine whether we like stuff stuff or not. Would we like to move on to the eggs of Apep? Yeah, this is probably my least favorite, uh, mainly because like. All it does is either nothing or kill you, and there's no like there's no payoff except death. So like if, I feel like if I if I put these things in front of players, it would either do nothing or it would kill them, and I'd feel like a real dick if I just killed them all with this this for out of like the blue. The eggs of Apep, I, I believe, are named after an um, Egyptian god, uh, the god Egg. Uh, he was the god of no. This this bit's this bit's going nowhere. I was trying to do the the, the usual thing where it's like ah yes the Gallagher Business Building named after Doug Business the founder, but um, it doesn't scan here. I think, Did I'm I just, drop again? No, I'm just you know saying like well no, on to the next thing you know. Uh, Tom, you you think you had a more nuanced take than mine on on these? Yeah, I think this is this one strikes me as kind of of a piece the blood of the feeder, but the blood of the feeder is a better example of the type. Like we were saying, the blood of the feeder, it's in a, it's literally in a can where that's basically hanging open and it has a sign on it saying, do not touch this. It's really strongly inviting you to come poke around with it. This one, it doesn't have like the 
it's kind of in a stable status quo where no one really knows what it is and it's not really in a position to do anything dangerous and all the weird stuff it does only triggers in really extreme conditions. So you can't kind of stumble into trouble with it like you could with the blood of the feeder. So I think that's kind of worse for it than it being lethal is just that you can't really, it's not really, it doesn't really lend itself to uh, weird stuff happening with it that would draw your interest. You know what it is? You know what this is? This is, and I was, I was, I was the only one like saying this at the time. This is the goddamn puzzle box from Lover in the Ice. It's like you have to go so far out of your way to interact with it, and all it does is kill you. <laughs> but a puzzle box, I feel like <laughs> I could argue about the puzzle box, but I think that's a little off track. No, I think I think that we're in agreement here that it's not good to have something that is like locked behind all these layers and then at the end it's just death i feel like the puzzle box like is so many ridiculous steps though that you kind of you know something weird is going to happen if you chase it that far yeah at least it gives you a, gives you multiple chances to nope out of it whereas this just it, and you're it, just dead yeah and it also says like like i feel like by the end the puzzle box is like the the movements required are so fine like you can't do it with your bare hands like it's barely possible to keep using it at those fine levels all right I would need to go back and actually read the description. Yeah, I'm not gonna re- I'm not gonna relitigate the puzzle box because you might be um, you might be right about this. But I uh... anyway, I just think like the the eggs of Apep in comparison to all the stuff with going on with the feeder, it just says the closest it can really pull you in is if you crack the stone open and then you look inside. You have to make a pow times five task to avoid touching it, which just feels like a lot more clumsy than anything else going on there. Feels like a very blunt way of getting that job done. I mean, out of 11, one had to be 11th. You know, what can I say? Uh, anything else for this? Or we'll go to the Gaudi shape? Now let's go to the Gaudi shape. Yeah, I like, I like the Gaudi, I like shape, the Gaudi shape a lot. It's another, it's another one that I feel like I feel like if players, if I put this in a scenario and players like want it as the prize at the end, it's something that they potentially could use in the future, which is cool. Yeah, it's it's useful, but it's also got a cost associated with it and it's dangerous. Um, I think this one falls into the category of bullshit insta-kill, and not necessarily because it's an automatic death sentence to interact with it, but specifically because instead of giving the creepy monster inside, like, a set of cool, unique abilities, they just bitched out and gave it, and said, like, oh, just cast Withering. Like, the whole point of creating a cool monster is to give it a unique power set. This is something that I bitched about in the Traft of Iconoclast, how the Father of War has, um... It has, like, all these cool abilities that are based on it being a cloud of obsidian. It's like, oh, yeah, but it also just casts Withering all the time. It's like, no. Like, you had you had something really cool going, and then you just kind of, like, well, but how about instead of that, we just give it, like, a powerful direct damage. Powerful direct damage, the most boring thing that you can do with a monster. Right. I think, it, I think the order of operations there is it uses infallible suggestion to make you kill yourself, which then it says Withering, and then you get the cool one, which is it... In one of its creepy-ass feet that are actually human hands, it grabs a knife and flies over you and stabs you in the face. There you go. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> way better. I think even you can use magic with that. You can, like, have it do fascination so you stand still yeah. while it flies over and stabs fascination you. Fascination or um, give, it, give it, like, one attack per each different creature that's part of it. So, like, the bird goes straight for the eyes and can, like, peck your eyes out. Yeah. I just, I like, I guess I feel like... I mean, if, if I did it, I would just make this thing more interactable, like more, which is like kind of the same thing I do with Marlene. 
in Last Things Last. Like, this thing is, like, trapped inside a box, so it's, like, I gotta, you gotta imagine it's, like, hungry for information, so if you can, like, tell it what's going on in the world and, like, provide it some sacrifices, I think it'd be probably pretty cool with you. And then you have this, like, cool thing that can help you with rituals. Like, that's neat. That's a cool thing you can use. Well, here's the thing. So, we talked, we just talked a lot about how the bird tries to kill you, but the actual text is, quote, involving a great old one or implying in the existence of the unnatural is enough. So, you're fucking Delta Green. You know all this shit is real. Just, if you're honest with the bird and say anything vaguely honest, it's going to decide, okay, I can work with this. Yeah, and then it's a, it's a positive. And th- that's one of those cases where I would probably, if the agents, I feel like if you ask a Delta Green agent what power do you serve, they're going to give some kind of a really canny, cagey answer. And I feel like I would give them maybe like a power times five test to be like, you get the feeling that this thing is not fucking around, and you should be honest with it. Or, you know, you should like not try to play play with this power. Yeah, well, there's there's also when you're in the room there's like two bloody skeletons on the ground that just had the flesh strip from it so that's your cue even even without a roll or not that's your cue is it and let it go uh you feel like this guy doesn't really care about the fbi he's been chilling in here for centuries and he's perfectly fine you might want to up your game a little bit yeah but i do i i love it as a way to teach the like to teach magic and help with rituals and stuff. If maybe if you are like an occult-minded character or a history-minded character, and you recognize the name Gaudi, you know, like this used to belong to a witch. So you tell him, "I'm I'm a modern-day witch finder, like the kind who put your mistress to the torch," and that's going to be pretty impressive to it. Yeah, but so I definitely like this box item. Delta Green is a, a game that. Um in the new edition goes pretty far out of its way to obfuscate the players ever learning about great old ones and pretty much pretty much learning anything like you get unnatural in such small quantities and you most most scenarios do not actually like tie directly into like a major Cthulhu mythos power they've got several layers of obfuscation between them which i personally think is good but in this specific case i think that it's uh kind of harmful um, however, you could make it not harmful by just saying, like, even a single percentage point in Unnatural is enough to give you just a name you can throw out. Like, even if it's just like, hey, I'm big friends with Serpent Man Dave. <laughs> Be like, oh, yes, the Serpent Man, the children of Yig. Or, you know, hey, I am not a huge fan of, uh, you know, ex- the 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 Ithians, the great race of Yith. Like that would be a great way to make, because cause one of the things we keep talking about is that low levels of unnatural are basically useless. Like the things man is not meant to know background just kind of sucks because ten percent is barring some very specific scenarios that give you stuff at ten percent is not helpful. I also feel like this thing is supposed to be a a, a keeper of secrets. Like it's it's a, it's a very knowledgeable thing. So if you were like. If someone was like, who do you serve? And you were like, Delta Green, it'd be like, oh, you know, unnatural, you know, protectors of, you know, humans from the unnatural. Interesting. You know, like, I'd be like, oh, it knows, it knows all about you, you know? Like, that'd be a handy little moment, you know, potentially. One thing that I also like is when creatures view, you know, Delta Green, Majestic 12, whoever, they don't view Delta Green as an unnatural, like an, an anti-unnatural organization that fights like Great Olds and stuff. They just view it as... Like, in the same way that, that Migo are, like, Migo supremacists and Deep Ones are Deep One supremacists, they just view Delta Green as the human version of that. 
they view Delta Green as this this is this is humans fighting for humans in a world where various types of creatures and gods battle for supremacy. So they they'd say you know they they it'd be like say uh, you know a, a CIA agent meeting a Mossad agent or something, and the idea that they in many cases would even prefer interacting with Delta Green to mundane humans because this is someone who knows how the game is played. This is someone who gets it. Yeah, that's, I can see that. Yeah, that's very true. I think I think we're all in agreement that uh, you should definitely tip the scales in favor of this thing talking to the players if you think they need to. I don't necessarily, but I think you definitely yes. should. You I, mean, I would I would just delete the line that says any answer involving Great Old One and just immediately say, it asks who you serve. It can teach the agent secrets. Like, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I also do like the idea of like a player leaning on this thing to help them cast magic. Because it's pretty useful at that, and then having to cast something like in under duress and it exacting some horrible cost, like give me, I'll, you know, give me your child or something. That'd be a cool play moment. The thing about the initial, there's the it's based on the mechanic in the Handler's Guide where the familiar can help its owner operate rituals, and the issue with that was always that's a cool mechanic, but the problem was that it's very un, it was very unlikely in the original presentation that the player would ever have a familiar. And when NPCs operate rituals, I think most people don't roll for it. They just say that the spell goes off. Unless it's like, unless it's very deliberately like this is a guy who's kind of a novice at magic and just using something he's found in a book. Most most characters in Delta Green that have familiars are going to be zero sand NPCs that cast rituals automatically successfully. So so that, that presentation was never helpful. And I think that the only way in the base game you could get a familiar was by um, selling your soul to the Darkman. Because there was a ritual that you could do that, and I think it might have vaguely mentioned that you could get a familiar that way. But I like this one because it's just it, it's a box with a um, a magical realm inside and a familiar, which like this is a huge boost. This is this is basically um, you know how we said that that the uh, the new life fertility was X Men, but for Delta Green, this is like Mordenkainen's like magical hut, but for Delta Green. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I see that. I don't remember the name of the spell, but it's the one where you can like just go into a pocket dimension and like, hang out uh, while you're... Le- Lehman's Tiny Hut or something? Yeah, the where you just go in the pocket dimension while your shit recharges, and then you come out and just body people. All right, yeah, I like this one. Uh, anything else for Gaudi Shape? or? Oh, yeah, Um, Tom, you, you were the one who told us that this is based on a real person. Uh, Yeah, I thought there was a really cool connection here that Isabel Gaudi, who is, like, is extensively described in the write-up, like at the very beginning, was actually a real person who was in fact accused and tried for witchcraft. And it kind of goes full circle because her story was cited in a book from the early 20th century called The Witch Cult in Western Europe, which apparently it, yeah. it came out in around 1921, I think. And Lovecraft pretty clearly read it because if you're familiar with the basic premise, all of that is literally true in the Cthulhu mythos. Um, the, so, so Witch Cult Hypothesis was, I think, a riff on, um, there were basically three books. There was Golden Bough, Aradia Gospel of Witches, and, uh, I think, I think that was the one, and, uh, Witch Cult Hypothesis. And, um, basically the idea is that some part of, like, persecution of witches is based on there being an actual witch cult not necessarily actual like magic and so on but trying to find quote-unquote rational explanations for like all the stuff that that people believed about witches like oh you know they the devil's dick felt cold because it was someone wearing a strap on and like that's literally one of them and 
and uh, yeah, it was a huge inspiration for all of the witch cult shit in Old Delta Green, like uh, Dreams in the Witch House. Yeah, and like uh, a couple of other ones, I want to say, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, Dreams in Dreams in the Witch House was the main one, but there was yeah, there's at least a couple others that deal with maybe not specifically the witch cult, but that kind of tradition of sorcerers worshiping the quote unquote the Dark Man, which is in which in the old legends was the devil, but in Delta Green is is uh, the crawling chaos. Yeah, probably Charles Dexter Ward, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is it jo- 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 Joseph? Kerwin? Yeah, Joseph Kerwin. He got he ran off to America because in England everybody figured out it was a warlock or whatever. And I really like the witch cult stuff. I think that it's a lot of fun. Uh, for the same like 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 I think Tom, you and I are on the same wavelength with this because it's a very um kind of Hellboy presentation of the mythos. Yeah, the idea that there this coven of witches can just like show up on your doorstep anytime they want. Yeah, and but also the uh the kind of weird mix of traditional occultism and demons and magic with Delta Green that in a lot of cases I really don't like. Like most of the time like I think a lot of that kind of sucks. But I really, really like the, the the whole witch cult thing. It's one of the ones that I've gotten the most mileage out of, especially because witches are fun to write because it's you it's 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 a, a thing that, that lends itself to a combination of the character being kinda of pathetic but also very doing very bad things and being dangerous. Right. You can write very human characters who still have all these monstrous, crazy abilities. Yeah, like the one that you made who uh was a like a total violent sadist or whatever, but also wrote letters to children claiming to be from Hogwarts saying that they were That magical. was literally like one line. That was like a bit NPC in this scenario, yeah. Yeah, but they're but they're all like that and that's what makes them so much fun. Or like um the one the one that I had is that uh the favored like witch strategy to um no i already talked about this i already did an extensive thing on um on like all my witch scenarios i'm not gonna beat this one up because we've already talked a whole lot about this but witches are great uh go listen to we super love witches yeah, go listen go listen to whichever old episode it was where i talk a whole bunch about um caged heat and big rock candy mountain and uh, uh long live the queen and you know that i will never stop believing and probably several others so you guys want to do um the mask next because i like this yeah one. this is a cool one all right the Hunapu mask. It's a magical mask. It's a recycled piece of artwork from another Delta Green book, because I think most of the stuff in here is, because when you only have one artist, you kind of got to make the most of what you have, because your, your production pipeline is pretty narrow. Uh, this magical mask I like because it is a cool mix of being useful and dangerous. It's something that I think is pretty obviously hazardous, like you're not going to think, oh yes, this mask will not have any consequences for me using it. It's something that happens over time. It's like mechanically pretty well put together. Uh, the only thing that I would do differently with it, I think, is that basically like the personality inside the mask gets charged up as you as you use it. One thing that you could do is there's a really cool mechanic that I don't think got used enough in Labyrinth called the Cracked Agent, where an agent with who has lost enough sand to have a, at least a single disorder gets enhanced perception of unnatural activity. I think that a cracked agent should be able to hear the guy inside the mask before he actually 
like hearing it control. take power from him, yeah, or gaining power, yeah, yeah, or 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 speak and be able to be able to converse with it because the the guy in the mask has a lot of backstory that I don't think is ever going to get revealed, and it's cool because I think the Kenyan are great. I'm I'm my my presentation of them is very different from what Delta Green does with them, but I still think that they're great and I, and no no one ever really uses them or cares about them, so I think it's fun that they that they've um that they've they've got one in this mask here. Delta Green in general has done more with the Kenyan, I think, than any other um, Call of Cthulhu game because they don't really show up a lot in any Chaosium products that I know of. The only potential issue I found with this one looking through it is that the mask has to gain power from like people losing sand near it and like gaining disorders. But it feels like that's going to happen really slowly. So if you're trying to use this to be like, like this mask would be a terrible catalyst because it would be really boring to wait the months it would take for it to gain enough power to do anything. So I feel like you'd have to stumble upon it already fucking with somebody pretty heavily and then you know deal with it that way what's funny is that there is there's a uh, one of the one of the bumper microfictions in one of the delta green books i don't remember if it's agent or handler's guide is about a magical mask and it's it's the one where the 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 couple have decided to wear this special mask like a oh. game but it's very cool but it's a different it's a different mask because that mask is described as being completely smooth that one was a great was a great story, and I also would have liked to see that one. Although that also might have been one that worked better as a short story than as an artifact, because we're going to see one in, in later in the list that I that I think works better as a short story than an artifact. Anything else for the Hunapu mask? I think that I think this one this one I don't have a lot to say about it. I I, I like it. I think that the, it's it's an issue because there's a possession effect, and the problem with possession is that um, if the player wants to play as because I've I've had great scenarios uh, both that I've, I've, I think that I've read and I, I think also I've, I've had enjoyable scenarios that I've written where the player is given the opportunity to play as a possessing magic guy. Like, uh, I did one that was just, um, it was just uh, dudes of hazmat portal of plenty and you could, one of the players got to play as, uh, if you get possessed by, by the magic orb, you get to play as the wizard Alizarian and like fly around and, and zap people and stuff. And every, every player I've seen do that has really enjoyed it. And it's not, and it, it's not, it's, because I've had betrayals in, in games like that that have gone, like, would probably not that much fun for the rest of the group, even though they were fun for the person doing it. Uh, because, you know, it's like, okay, you just get you get mowed down with a machine gun. But if you can make the struggle in the back and forth more fun, then that's great. Like, this is, this is a guy in this mask, this Kenyan guy. Um, if you're going to do this, the, the stab in the back should not be like, okay, he casts Withering and deletes the team. It's like, hey, you know what would be fun, guys? If we went out to the mound and dug up some items... Let's 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 dig up some items, guys. Let's dig up this casket, and then like trying to enlist the other player characters to be his like high priests of his magic adventures. It's kind of a waste of that if you come back and it's just like, oh, you killed someone while you were blacked out. It should be more like a Tyler Durdeny thing almost, that like you're trying to piece together what the alternate personality is doing when you're uh, when you're blacked out. Yeah, agreed. I mean, ironically, a lot of our critiques of these just is like use them well, which is the same for any like. You know, run this scenario, but good. <laughs> no, I think I think that this is a meaningful critique, though, because I yeah. I have always tried in my stuff, and because because I I don't think that the a lot of the artifacts that I do are that great. But one thing that I think that I am genuinely better at than a lot of published Delta Green material is presenting the best possible use case for something like. Like, this is something that I would actually be excited to put in the game. Here is something that is a little more complete instead of just suggesting, oh, this golds are up to the handler. I think that's something that I would love to see. This is one. This was one of our problems with Labyrinth, is that it took a little bit of legwork to come up with the best use cases because the ones that they presented weren't always great. 
Maybe maybe that's just a personal taste thing though. Like of course I'm gonna think that my ways of using it are better because um because they they're more in line with how I run Delta Green. But Kevin, I remember you feeling something similar at the time. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I don't think like r- use these magic items well is a bad critique. It's like it's kind of obvious. You know, it's like if you you could run Dungeons and Dragons really poorly and it's not fun. Run it well is kind of a draw the rest of the owl critique. Oh, I feel. <laughs> yeah, yes. exactly. I think the real argument should be like draw it out, kind of run it slowly so you can luxuriate in all the cool stuff this thing can do. Yeah, yes. Well uh, I'm good with this one going to the Curveville Executable. Curveville Executable. So for those of you who have never read the story before, this is a straight port of something called Blit, which is a story by David Langford. It's a story about something called the Berryman logical imaging technique, which is the idea that you can use a fractal as a quote-unquote Gedelian shock input to crash someone's brain and kill them. And the reason why I say this is a direct ripoff of this is that the specific way in which all of the people in the house came into the room, looked at the screen, and died in like a like a conga line of bodies, that is a direct rip from how the Berryman logical imaging technique was originally discovered in the story. It's also a common thing in reality for enclosed spaces. Yes. Like, uh the conga line of guys going into like, oh, we got to rescue that guy who just went into the H2S or whatever. Is it H2S or HS2? Oh, it can be any, all sorts of things. We see it too, yeah. It's the one that Will always talks about because where you can't smell it because it paralyzes your nose. But um, but that specific line is, is I think, a direct reference to the, to the story. And it's the similar idea of causing um, a seizure-like symptom and then killing you. Uh, but which, And I think that's fine. I think that taking something from another media property and Delta Greenifying it is great. I think that the idea, like, like I'm not going to say that it's a ripoff just because it's a, a thing that you look at that kills you, because that's super common in, in media. That's that's not that, that's not unheard of. But that specific thing clued me in that it was probably a, a direct pull. Uh, I think this one is interesting because it is a threat, but it's also something that the player characters, if they have it in their possession, can very easily package and use. If you want to kill someone with this, it is very easy. It is very, it is so easy that it is hard not to do it once you have the thing in your possession. As in, the only reason why you wouldn't do it is fear of killing someone who you didn't want to kill, either the other, you know, someone else in the room or yourself. Like this one is very, like you said, you said, um, Kevin, that there were no magic swords in this book. This is a magic sword that goes right into your fucking brain. Yeah, true. Just like put it on an iPad and point it to people. This one always makes me think of no evil, uh, because this feels like one Caleb wrote, and there was a device in his no evil campaign for Eclipse Phase called a flicker box. Yes. Uh, and I don't remember if they were literally CRT monitors, but the idea was that it was uh, like a visual device that was incredibly low resolution and janky, so that you could look at basilisk cacks and other info so hazards. So that, that's also taken directly from, from Blit, because in Blit, the way that you used, the way that people would use the info hazard is that you would wear something called scramble goggles, which would, again, break up the visual field so that you couldn't see whatever it was that you were looking at. Right, there's a degree to which you can degrade the image where you can safely look at it without having your brain broken. But the issue in the story was that the 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 guy, the way that people use it in the story is that they use it for terrorist attacks. So you would you would have you had a stencil that you would put on the wall and spray paint and it would make the shape. And you would wear scramble goggles and you did it so that you didn't um so that you didn't kill yourself. But the issue was that because the human brain is pretty good at um like 
like adapting to different imaging conditions. Like, you know, you've heard the story about how, like, if you wear the, gl- the glasses that flip your vision upside down, eventually your eyes will, will flip the, flip the picture, whether or not that's true in the story, the guy like uses, use, he uses the, um, the thing to commit like a terror attack and then he gets arrested and he's in jail and like, okay, well, we, we can't technically charge him with this because we know what he did, but it's not actually illegal yet. And so they just, they like say, okay, he fell on the stairs cause they beat the shit out of him and he's in the jail cell and he's thinking, okay, I got it with the terror attack. Good, good for me. But then in his head, he keeps thinking about the, um, the shape because he can't get it out of his mind and so his brain has actually learned to unscramble the picture and then it kills him even though he's not even looking at it <laughs> so he kills himself with his own memory yeah, or even like his, imagine own, his own memory because he is he is against his better judgment he is working to complete the picture and the terrorists basically they have a uh, a countermeasure which is that if you find yourself thinking really hard about the scrambled image you need to immediately like consume some intoxicating substance like you need to get really drunk and so he's in the jail cell like begging the 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 jailers to like give him some vodka and they're like no you just killed like 30 people we're not giving you shit and then he he dies and the shape in the story is called the parrot because it's shaped like a parrot but because it's like a bird that's why they call it a basilisk that plus it looks at you and kills you anyway uh this one i think is good the main thing that that annoys me about it is that the text from the like fan fiction users and the image board users is that 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 stuff is presented in a way that it's clear that the dude like did minimal research but does not actually know how people from those communities talk or interact so having like taking like five minutes because i'm sure if you look if you just ask around in, in the delta green world you'll find someone who uses those websites and it wouldn't have been, have been that hard to to get someone to beta this for you so that makes it feel hokey and inauthentic but everything else about it is good yeah, it's a little little how do you do fellow. Yes, exactly. Like 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 the part where it's like, oh yes, the two eight chan accounts that we're talking to each other. Like t- t- two minutes of like ah uh, yes, the, the people with the people with those um with those accounts on that anonymous internet image board. Still, I think it's neat. It's right, yeah. Um but and the the other cool plug in is that the dudes who do who are like using the, the who do the dudes who wrote the thing here are like Nazis or whatever. And in the original story, the guys who used the um parrot to like do terrorist attacks they were like british nationalist party or whatever they were um they were like white supremacists and they were using it to kill like indians and pakistanis in like minority neighborhoods and like like so they would like go and spray paint it outside like the um the the mosque or the the Korea shop i don't remember what like stereotypical british british indian building it was but jesus yeah so that then um that takes us to the miranov device i think yeah, so this is one from a short story in Tales of Failed Anatomies a while before it yeah. uh, showed up in any game materials. And I really like that short story. For those of you who haven't read it, it was basically from the perspective of a dude using the device and like his like the world he built. And then someone else basically just went in and like deleted his save file while he wasn't looking. And he got really pissed off. I think he killed the guy. But then it turned out that him kill that his save file getting fucked up and him killing the guy was just another simulation that he created. And so he realized. I think you're right. Yeah. And so then he he realized that he had now reached the point where um, he had like locked himself in the room with the magic box and was just f- playing with it. And he's like, okay, so there's like a, an SV8, because this is GRU SV8, it's Russian Delta Green. He was like, there, there's a, a GRU SV8, like, assault team, like, that's about to break down the door. But I don't know if that's actually about to happen or if I'm just imagining it using the magic box. It was a good story. 
I don't think it works that well as a Delta Green item because it's essentially a no, no. I, I was about to say I was about to say it was it's it's like a simulated world that you go into and just play with yourself while the other characters sit around playing with themselves. But then I realized that that's actually the value of this because I've had a couple scenarios that take place inside of like a hallucination caused by a um, a secret outlook project, and so that's what you would use this for is having to like swim upwards through the layers of simulation until you escape back into the real world or trying or 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 um doing a like like you'd use this as a as an excuse to run a groundhog day scenario which i was never really that enamored of but i know that some of you guys have were kind of excited about the prospect i know that was that jake really wanted to perfect his one of the things i thought this would be good for after i read the story was i kind of had this vision of there's a guy who uses the cube and he's essentially like an oracle like whenever sv8 needs a problem solved they come to him and they have him simulate it in the box to try and figure out what they should do and so it's kind of like that's how you turn them into the new majestic 12 is that they were a cargo cult these guys are a mystery cult kind of listening to the ramblings of this oracle who does not want to come out of this pretty box he's got his head yes i did something i had something similar for um when I was doing Esper, the Australian psychic organization for Australia Adventures, because we have a lot of Australians and I have the offer server, and I thought it would be a fun idea. Uh, when I was doing Esper, I had I, I basically made their rival organization a group of guys that used to... They, they were basically guys who would dungeon crawl the old Yithian city and just see what items they could steal. And one of the items that they stole were a group of stones that reacted differently depending on what you mentally decided to do. And by watching the the way that the stones reacted to different choices that you thought about making, you could predict the future. And so all of their like business development strategy is just this one, like this one, uh, like the, their chief financial officer who has just like taken over one of the conference rooms and just spends all day in it watching the rocks roll around and then tells them what to do after that. I love that. That's great. But they're terrified of Esper, the the Australia Esper's like the player organization. They're terrified of Esper because the psychics are invisible to the uh, to the prediction method. So they act. And which, which I did this mainly so that it wasn't like, oh, they predicted everything you were going to do, so there's no point. It's like, no, they're terrified of psychics because psychics exist outside the flow of what this device can see. So they immediately are like, okay, we got to do something about Esper because Esper could just Esper could eat our lunch and we wouldn't even know it. And this is a this is a similar case where I think if you really wanted to have the magic prediction box, you would have to establish some kind of like limit on what it could actually do. And I think the main limit is just the ability of the guy using it to to simulate everything. Because in order to simulate things, you have to be able to like with the box, you have to have like the mathematical underpinnings. And there's a lot of stuff in the Delta Green world that mathematically like doesn't function according to normal rules or just fucking kills you if you understand it. So the obvious trap for this would be if if you know that the dude is using the box to simulate your adventures and like he's using it to watch your every move, you just say, okay, cool, I'm gonna I'm gonna just look in this book here and you just look at the um the Lakewius equation, which is completely harmless to you, a dumbass grug who doesn't know anything about math. But the dude the dude who's a good mathematician who's who's simulating you immediately solves the equation and then gets infected and kills himself. And it's just like um, it's like deliberately infecting yourself with King and Yellow in order to make the Ithians leave you alone because they're terrified of taking that information parasite back to the archive. So they just say, "No, we're, we're not. We don't. We, we don't want to do with that." It's very nice of them not to cauterize your whole nervous system on their way out. Well, I mean, here's the thing: like, do you really want to stake your hands in that? 
like, do you really want to go anywhere near something that even just thinking that it exists means that you've already lost? I don't think they would cauterize your nervous system. I think they would cauterize the mind of the Ithian that was observing you, because by the time he even realizes that you've got to go, he's also got to go. This is the problem with being, like the Delta Green presentation of Yithians as being completely networked and existing in all timelines simultaneously, means that if even one branch gets fucked, they're all fucked. That's how you, it's it's the same way it's like, how do you deal with the Borg? Well, you, they have a collective consciousness, so you infect one guy with Ligma, and then they all get Ligma. Or, um, I had something else that was similar. Oh yeah, um, there's a great series of books uh, called Quantum Thief. And in Quantum Thief, there's a bit where this guy is, he's fighting someone who can like simulate his every move. And so they're, they're playing a, a game or whatever that relies on like predicting what the other guy's going to do. And so he's like, okay, this guy can simulate my every move. How do I beat him? And so he's thinking, hmm, I will make, and, and so he starts, he starts basically in his own thought process thinking like, okay, I'm going to make a move based on like the color of my sister's hair when I was 10. I'm going to make a move based on um, the first time I ever got drunk. And so he just thinks about all of his old memories and like, you know, what he did. And he forces the other guy to simulate him so perfectly that he literally just creates a copy of himself. And then the guy's like, okay, well, you're me and I'm you. So uh, I guess you win. And then he, he just leaves. It was it was awesome. It's the kind of shit that you should do with this one force the other dude to perfectly to simulate you so perfectly that he can't help but end up making the exact same decision you would make. Anyone else have anything for this device? No, we can jump forward. What's the next device? It's kind of funny that they put the two the something devices next to each other, but this is the Renditor device? Ren- yeah. I was not as enamored of this one as I was of Mironov device, even though I think Mironov device doesn't have much going for it from a gameplay perspective. This one is also like a Yithian device, isn't it? Yeah, actually, I think the idea is that it's a cobbled together computer that has a list of like all the people that a single Yithian agent will jump into throughout history. It's not explicitly stated, but I think that's what's going on there. That's cool. It doesn't seem like so. So, what, what's the gameplay hook here? There, it's to be honest, it's the shortest of all the entries. I think there's not a whole lot going on here. Like, what stands out to me the most is actually the computer itself and the tactile details of kind of how it's put together and how you can take it apart. It has more personality than playability, which is something that I've, I've complained about a lot with this connection and connection collection. And um, I'm guilty of that, too. I've, I've got some items in my in my bag that are very difficult to actually interact with. Um, and this is, this is something that goes back to, like, the older green box stuff, too. Like, there's a lot of stuff in the green box generator that is... Uh, Here's a broken Yithian device. You can identify it as a Yithian device because it's got curvilinear writing on it. I think this is one where you could definitely write a cool scenario around this. Like, you know, investigating, and you know, these different dates and times. And then, you know, using it to find, finally, like, get to where the guy's going to be and then stopping him or whatever. But, like, you'd have to just love it as an artifact. But if you do, if you love the way it looks and feels, like, you could totally do a, a short scenario based around it. It'd probably be pretty fun. I always thought there would be... I've always thought there would be a cool campaign frame in that you're, like, doing battle across history with a single Yithian. So, like, you, it goes backwards in time. In the modern day, you're Delta Green agents. You come across this Yithian, and he's like, oh, you fuckers again. And then every scenario after that is taking place further into the past as you you have a history while this guy is losing memories of you. And you're just fucking up his plans left and right. Yeah, that, that's good, because, because then... Um... No, that, that's actually a really great way to do a presentation of, um, like, 
time travel without making the guy totally omnipotent. The main issue I would have there is I would I would want I would I would feel some some need to like set up what's going to happen in the scenarios afterward because like obviously the Ithian who's super angry at Delta Green is going to have a reaction of some kind like like he's going to say oh you you assholes and he's he's going to have something that that he knows that the players are going to do in their future which is his past but I can't actually guarantee that's going to happen as a handler yeah that's the thing I also sort of wish this one had like a longer list of names yeah. as a handout and like ways that you can research who they are yeah exactly something to give you a little bit of a springboard i just think as is it's all pretty thin here we have anything else for this device or do we want to go to the stone of yaz let's go to the stone of yaz i this is one that's another there's another one from another scenario and the advice for it is basically run sweetness but again it's arguably not too modular, like with Victim of the Art. Uh, do, so with, with um, do do you feel though that this one is one where, in the hands of a player character, it could be used in for something other than just running a repeat of a published scenario? Yeah, I think so. I think the fact that you could it basically lets you astral project into this weird monster form is really cool. Yeah, and you could use that for like, uh, you could use it for spying on people or shadowing people. You could use it for assassinations. Like it sort of reminds me of the old fate trick where in order to kill someone, you don't actually kill them. You just summon a dimensional shambler and have yeah. them drag them away. Yeah. I think it'd be neat as a, like, again, it'd be neat to put on like a, like an advanced pre-gen if you're running a, like, a, like a game and like, you know, let the characters have fun with it. Yeah. The thing about this one is that it it's, I think person size, it's a really big, heavy rock. So you need to keep it safe somewhere, and you need to physically go to it in order to use it. Is the thing about it? Yeah, like if, I, like if I was making a pre-gem with that, it'd be like, it'd be like has a safe house that stores the Stone of Yas, or I put it in the green box for the team or something. I had a character similar to this in a scenario, not a scenario, but but for one of my groups of interest, and it was a guy who he was like in a, a withered body or whatever, stuck in a wheelchair, but. He would send, he would just mail people little carvings that he made of like weird, gross creatures. And anyone who had touched one of his carvings, he could then possess. And while he was possessing that person, he looked like an idealized version of himself, like a, a manly Adonis or whatever. And then he would go and like do missions as that person and then like abandon that body and go back into his old body. The idea, the idea was to have it be like powerful and a mystery, but also have it ultimately be traceable back to him because obviously everyone he's possessing is someone who has touched the magic items that he mails out and those can be traced back to him. I remember that one. That was fun for as much as we got through of it. Yeah, that one I I uh I I I didn't end up running the whole the whole campaign because of just lo- it just logistically didn't work out for the format we were running it in, but it was a, it was a lot of fun to write that. That's pretty much all I got for stone of Yas. I think that it's, it's interesting to, to just have it, have some of these be explicitly like here is something from a published module that I'll rip out. Cause this is something that I've done myself. Like when I was just trying to fill out my big list of, of magic items, I would just take stuff from scenarios I'd written and throw it in there. And it's got me wondering now, maybe, um, Maybe there's a place for like all of the unique rituals that have showed up in Delta Greens to also get their own document because a lot of a lot of scenarios are just are just like you know give the monster withering give it infallible suggestion just give it shit from the Handler's Guide but then there's stuff like um, Control Copy Control Copy has a suite of magical spells in it that are super useful for a player character extremely helpful and also very dangerous 
Oh yeah, those are really cool. Yeah, and I think that one would be something that would be cool to port into a just a document of things that you can that you can find in a green box, like a, a book of. Because I, I like I like tomes when I, when they have a, a useful thing in them, but also flavor. I think that's another way to. I, I think I think something like this, but with with books, would be also be great. And I guess one of these is a tome because uh, the the last item on the list is a is a tome. It's a a piece of media. Do we need a tome alignment chart? Like tome purely, a tome must be a book. You know, bound. It must be a book, and, and it must be old and shit. Yeah, and then like you know, like a DVD. You know, yeah, like so so DVD so it's, is a tome. it's it's one axis is much must be a book, and one axis is like must be ancient. Or like must not you know the the tech techn- the the technology involved yeah. in creating it or something. So this one, Sweet Lady Blood Pruner, I felt had a very strong backstory, and then just Carcosa kind of crudely stapled onto it at the end, like literally just dubbed over. It's not a guy. The King in Yellow did the dub. I do think that's kind of a neat touch to make it a unique tome, though. That it's watching the film in XYZ languages is perfectly safe. It's when you put on the subtitles in one language or the other, then it's dangerous. I think that I mean the, the part the part where like it it unlocks a different hidden piece of footage is cool. I think uh, my feeling overall is that of all of the Delta Green content based on women in prison exploitation films, this is for sure the second best. Blood Melon, what's the first uh, That's got to be Caged Heat, the scenario I wrote about a witch in prison who's trying to summon a fire vampire. <laughs> yeah, I got to wonder if the subtitles, like, you know, like, uh, in, like, really egregious anime dubs, the subs go into, like, long detail, like, you know, like... You're thinking of Cromarty High, which had an absolutely just killer English dub that just leaned really hard into the dialogue being super overwritten. Like, the part where the dude with the huge afro is, like, he's trying to figure out if the other guy is, like, is, like, a, a just an idiot or, like, a master of stand-up comedy. He's like, no, the joke will only make sense if I respond this way. But he knows that. He's the perfect trap for me. God, how do I beat this guy? No, I mean, like, sometimes you'll see, like, like subtitles. Okay, okay, you said, you said, like, you said, you said, Kevin, you said dub earlier, so I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant sub, I'm sorry. But, you know, it'd be like, you know, the king in yellow, asterisk, like, while the king, you know, king is traditionally, you know, a title of monarchy. No, 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 this one I was I was a little disappointed by just because the the whole like elaborate backstory about it like um you know it's it's very clearly supposed to be like Emmanuel or uh, Scorpion female prisoner or whatever which according to Telegraph Avenue is like one of the primary inspirations for most of Tarantino's films like Kill Bill and stuff according to Michael Chabon anyways um but then uh I'm just a little I feel like I feel like I I um I should. You know when you like play an early access game too much, and then when it actually comes out, you don't care. I did that with with Carcosa and King and Yellow. Like now that Impossible Landscapes is out, it's apparently really good. Like all I've heard is how great it is, but I kind of just don't care at this point because I've just kind of burnt out on that particular section of Delta Green. Yeah, I, I hear you. This is definitely be a good intro or a good like yeah thing to sprinkle into something. Here, here's something that I disliked about it. I disliked that it specifically says, like, use this as a plug-in to this published module, because, and, and, then, and then I started thinking, like, this is sort of a philosophical disagreement about what the purpose of this document is, because is this a collection of stuff to be slotted into existing scenarios? Is this a stuff that is scenarios in itself? Is this stuff that can be slotted into any scenario or just dropped in a green box? 
I don't know. I just feel like uh, sort of similar to how like like how I get annoyed in in Pathfinder when I open up a scenario and I have to reference like three other books to get all the monsters and get all the spells that the monsters use and get the magic items that are supposed to be in the scenario. And I'm guilty of this myself because I have stopped putting um, I've stopped putting the spell descriptions in and just just said like oh he's got infallible suggestion, which means that you have to have a handless guy to use that material, which I think most people do, but it's still annoying to have to leaf through it and find the stuff. Anyway, I I um. Again, this this is another one where where the the backstory is stronger than the gameplay for me. Yeah, but I mean, like overall, it's a pretty solid, you know, uh, bit of Delta Green. Like, if I didn't already have it as a Kickstarter, I would probably pick it up just to have like a complete collection and you know things to pull off the shelf if you know I want an inspiration, or whatever. So I think this is a good book. I I wasn't enamored of it at the beginning, but now I'm feel I feel much more positively about it after this discussion. And also just having, like, gone back and looked at it again after kind of dismissing some of these items. Yeah, agreed. Tom, final thought? Yeah, I, I thought it was satisfying. 